Hey everybody, it is Then Again, and I'm Glenn, and I have here with me a very special guest, Marie Walker, our brand new Director of Education at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Hello, I'm so excited to be here. And she comes to us with lots of great experience, but one of those experiences is that she has been a Civil War reenactor for how long? I started reenacting, I think, in eighth grade. So about eight years. Yeah, so so she has loved that. Civil War has always been a thing. And so today, one of the things I wanted to talk about that we wanted to talk about was Civil War reenacting and not necessarily what you normally think of. Lots of folks go to Civil War reenactments and they want to see the battles, which are usually just the guys standing across a field from each other and firing. But there's lots of different ways you can experience a Civil War reenactment as a participant. And having done this, she's got a lot of different perspectives that she has that are different from what you may call the norm or the mainstream. So Marie, tell us a little bit about how you got and why you got into Civil War reenacting and and take us forward from there. So I guess you could say it all started with my American Girl dolls, which I trace all of my historical endeavors to. But With American Girl Dolls, it's really about these girls' stories and their daily lives, which I found incredibly relatable because these girls' stories, it's not the story of some soldier in a battle. I felt like I could relate to it more. And dressing like my doll and learning about their stories just led me on this path. I saw a documentary about these lady reenactors where it it was a very particular one about an 1861's girls' school that I really wanted to go to, and my parents said it was too far away. So we had to find something closer, and therefore I started volunteering as a junior docent at State Oaks Plantation in Jonesboro, which is also known as the home of Gone with the Wind. It's where Gone with the Wind is set. I had to inform people that Tara did not exist constantly and set some Gone with the Wind myth straight from a early age. But from going there then led me into Civil War reenactments and people who reenacted and did historical dance. And I got to meet a lot of really cool people that way. But as a woman, obviously, unless I dressed and disguised myself as a man, I'm not necessarily accepted on the battlefield as a female. Unless you're a Valerie, is that how you pronounce it? Vendivier. There we go. The French pronunciation. The French pronunciation. And what is a Vendivier? So that's like, they're called like the daughters of the regiment and they follow the men into battle usually with equipment and... And canteens of canteens drinks of water, water or other. I am not one of those. Usually when I go to a civil reenactment, I am a nurse and field nurses were not that common. Like they weren't necessarily on the battlefield. So there's sometimes some pushback from men that I'm, I'm literally like not allowed on. They're like, you can be a nurse and you can stand next to the battlefield, but you cannot go on to the battlefield. And like, I get that because for some reason, reason they're afraid I'm going to get trampled by a horse and I don't know how well, if, I as a woman could get trampled as a horse faster than man. Well if I dudes get can... trampled by a horse we're used to that. It's, uh, yeah, we're expendable. I guess You're so. You're special. I guess so and I wear a skirt and therefore <laughs> I can't run as fast but I swear if I challenged half those people to a foot race I could win. <laughs> we may have to do a video on that. No. <laughs> I will run in a corset and a petticoat and I will try to outrun some people. <laughs> It will happen at some point. <laughs> Stay tuned for our live stream presentation where Marie does exercise in a corset. But <laughs> so there's some interesting things. Sometimes there's not historical documentation of women being on the battlefield as nurses. Usually they were several miles back from the front lines. But just being able to show, you can't show several miles back from a 
front line at a reenactment. So therefore, you have to kind of be off to the side and you have to kind of do a theater thing where you suspend your disbelief for a half a second and you're like, pretend we're several miles back, but no one's going to walk several miles to come see me at my tent if I'm not right next to the battlefield. Well, you bring yeah. up a good point because a lot of, we, you know, maybe we should sort of step back and, and define our terms because uh, yes. in, in, the, in the public perception, living history and museum theater and reenactment all sort of blends in and means the same mm-hmm. thing. But for those of us who have practiced it for a little while and who have participated and, dare I say, who have become professionals at it, uh, not necessarily good, but professionals, someone does pay us, it has different meanings. So, so a reenactment... And, and Marie, jump in here. Your, your definition may vary a little bit from mine. A reenactment is something that the public comes to see for spectacle. They want to see guys pretending to fight a battle with muskets and black powder smoke and noise and things like that. And it and it really is spectacle. It's, it's a show. That's the reenactment. Living history is very similar, but its drive is educational. People are going to wear a lot of the same clothes and, and maybe do some of the same things, but it's not not for spectacle, it is for education. And as a result, you want what you're saying to be well-researched. You want the, the things you're using to be more accurate, as close as accurate as possible to the actual things. And of course, museum theater, but, but it's usually done in third person. That living history is done in the third person. Museum theater is when you're actually taking on the persona of someone from the past or some what's the word, sort of a conglomeration of stories to present a type example from the past and the first person and you and you sort of portray that in a, in a short play or in an interaction. Would you agree with the, those definitions would, are pretty close? I would definitely agree with those definitions. As someone who also comes with a, a theater background, the reenactment to me is very much a theatrical piece. It's very much a spectacle because you are reenacting what happened. Usually there's some type of script involved, whether that script be a battle plan or if you actually have lines to say. Most of the times people are not that organized and it's more, um, (laughs) there is a general idea. It's more improv. I guess you could say a reenactment is like improv theater. Right. You have a general it, guideline, and, and then you go for it. And, and Civil War reenactment, and, and most all military-based reenacting, I will be perfectly honest, is guys wanting to play army and, and pop caps and fire guns in a play army setting. It's the same thing, you know, at least the guys and a lot of girls did when we were young, running around in the woods with sticks pretending to shoot each other, but now we can afford all this stuff and we all get together and we play pretend war. Folks, that's what it is. We're just having fun playing army. And if we can shift to a living history setting, some of us really get into that because we love the educational aspects of it. But a reenactment proper is spectacle more than education. Even though I will say I never understand troop movements because I've looked at troop movement maps for a good long time. Never understood them until I actually went to a reenactment. So there is definitely educational value oh, absolutely. in a reenactment. Right, there, there can be. Mm-hmm. There can be, but... Especially um, if there's a narration going on during the reenactment, which I have gone to. And, and a lot of those, those. are good. They'll, folk, we'll, they'll be someone on a big sound system basically describing for the public viewing crowd sort of what they're seeing in the course of it. But one thing a reenactment does not have, should not have, that limits the authenticity is blood and death and the smell of eviscerated people and wounds and things like that. That is one thing that a reenactment 
does not portray, and I think a lot of the public, it's it's a sanitized version of battle. And, and a lot of the public, I think, gets that. And as a person who does a nurse impression, I can guarantee you, I get like five people who come to my tent from the entire reenactment. And I always know that there's going to be more people who get sick and die, in quotation marks, right. on Sunday because they've used all their rounds. <laughs> so they're looking for something to do. So they get shot and then they come over to me. And then I feel like I can... I try to help with the idea of people died because uh, the reenactment I'm personally thinking of that I, I absolutely love is Risaka. It's my like favorite reenactment. And they have a lovely medical setup for me where there is a medical fly that is like right in front of the spectator line right off the battlefield, yay, 20 yards away. I have like my little perimeter where it's safe for me to go out and try to like they have to drag themselves so far and then I can come out about 10 feet and like help them into the tent. And then we, we show the sadder part that people people died and there are two brothers that I'm thinking of and they always come visit me at Risaka and they take turns dragging each other each day. <laughs> and they are the most spectacular actors because they, you know, they're sitting there like shaking their dead brother and like screaming and crying. And I feel like that drives home the point right. of people died. These brothers are fighting next to each other and one of them's not coming home. And also I t attempt to, sometimes I try to have like blood packets and I have I bandage up the wound and like put the blood packet on it. But I, I think that's like the only blood that is seen at a reenactment is if I attempt to <laughs> bloody a person up at the hospital. If you're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> so, just like a football game, there's always ambulances standing to the side, but nine oh. times out of the 10, those are people who have gotten heat exhaustion. There's also times where people come up to me and they're like, I'm hurt. I'm like, are you actually hurt? Because I'm not actually the EMT. I know Civil War medicine to an extent, and that is not going to help you <laughs> unless I have a rusty saw. But um, so <laughs> half the time, like people come up to me, they're like, and I have to ask him, like, okay, is your gun discharged? Because that's my first question. And then my second question is, are you actually hurt? And then if they're, like, actually hurt, I'm like, go see the MT. They're right behind me. <laughs> I'm not the person for you. So tell us, as a female doing this and what has traditionally been seen as a, as a male hobby, what sort of inspirations have you gotten and what sort of pushback have you gotten? There's always some type of pushback. I feel like I've been very lucky because I've had – a lot of really positive experiences, um, but I also am a very traditional person in a very traditional female role. So I'm stepping into perhaps roles that are very accepted for females. Like I'm not trying to dress up and be a soldier on the field. I feel like those women have a lot more pushback than I do probably from just what I've seen and what I've heard. But there's always like that Usually people are very gentlemanly to me at reenactments and they tip their hats and uh, it's all lovely for the most part. But there, there is sometimes pushback when you're like, oh, you're a nurse. If you're not allowed on the field, then where can we set you up? And sometimes you get pushed to the back corner of something and sometimes you get, you know, Arasaka, like the nice medical unit right up front where people ask, I'm like, well, technically this would be like two miles down the road, but we can't show you that because... This is our stage and everything has to be on the stage. So there, there's that aspect of it. I feel like I usually, I like living history more because I feel like I get more of a voice there. People are more interested in coming up to see what the lady has to do uh, or what the lady is doing at a living history event versus a reenactment because reenactment, everyone wants to see the cannons go boom. They like, really do. I, I agree. Like I also want to see the cannons go boom and I want to see a smoke ring because those are awesome. <laughs> But I feel like at living history events, it's much more like if you want to see traditional ladies crafts or crafts that are traditionally thought of as female, 
that's much more accepted and much more interesting. And also the idea of where where are we going to put the ladies to camp? That's also an interesting thing. And you can sometimes figure out how the reenactment values civilians versus like where they set up civilian camp. Usually it is right next to the sutlers and the porta potties and it is a fantastic location. <laughs> but sometimes you're like, if they put you up in the woods somewhere, you're like, no one's going to come see us. Because I think living history and reenactments go together because obviously you have like the spectacle of the reenactment and that's like the main event. But then people are welcome to come and walk through the camps for the most part. And that's where living history happens. So I think encouraging people to not just go see the soldiers camp, but go see the civilian camp, go see the settlers. It gives you another perspective of the war of like women following their husbands or just following the army to make a buck. And sometimes I think that people just want to see the soldiers and they don't care about the other perspectives. Uh, that's And that is super true. And that's something that I've noticed because so many people get into reenactment, the guys get into reenactment to fire the guns whether they're, they're muskets or they're cannons, and that just sort of continues on. I mean, let's, you know, we, and this is something we've noticed at the museum. If you're going to fire off a musket, people will eat that up. There will be a huge crowd of it, men, women, and children. But what we do is we use that sort of as a leverage to say, okay, here's the musket, boom, and then we've got them there, and we'll talk to them about a lot of different aspects. And I think the growth of going from just being a civil war reenactor and like you've like you've done and like i've done is to branch out into other let's say opportunities because i know you for example started in civil war but but how many different period sets of clothing do you have oh, now so many so so many going back to 1066 and up to 1950 yeah and i'm and i'm the same way you know and I, and it's like well it starts there but then all these other great things and you know as i've gotten uh, older, and I'm not very convincing as a young soldier on the battlefield anymore. I try to find ways that I can use the age that I am now to sort of do the same thing, use it as educational opportunities, but kind of still fit in. So now I've got, you know, some medical impressions, you know, I, I can I can do the surgeon thing. I've even gotten some, um, and, and as you said, civilian. So there's the folks in the uniforms that do military, there's the folks that do civilian, and that opens things up. So you know, here at the History Center now, I've got civilian for, for doctor, for, you know, and, and surgeon. We've gotten surveyor. We've gotten carpenter, all these other things. And while we may have started off from that military combat-centric type of experience, I think both of us have moved on. Not moved on, because that implies that we've left that behind. Which we definitely have We not. haven't left that behind, but, but we've expanded mm -hmm. what we do and what we like to do with a lot of different aspects that, that had that original growth in, in the, in the military-focused. I think there's also a very large misconception with female reenactors that were there because our husbands or fathers like dragged us there, which was not my case at all. I dragged my mom there as a 14-year-old girl. I was like, hey, mom, they won't let me go on my own because I can't drive and I need a legal chaperone. Please come dress up with me. I'll sew you a dress. And my mother is the most wonderful human on the face of the planet and had never heard of reenacting and was like, I have to wear a corset? Like, what are we doing, Marie? And I was like, it's great. It's so fun. And she's like, okay, I'll learn how to cook over a fire. But... It's just me and my mom when we go reenacting. My dad doesn't want to come. Like, he enjoys hearing our stories of reenactments. He enjoys, like, coming to watch the battle as a spectator. But he, he is not going to dress up, and he is not going to go out and fight in a battle. So I'm there on my own free will and my own accord because I want to be, not because someone dragged me there. Well, and that's another good point. I think, I think everyone who's involved, who has been involved with this, has found some things. Tell us about 
the friends and the con- the personal connections you've made through quote unquote reenactment? So through reenacting, I have made a lot of really good friends that feel kind of like family. Like, you know, you go and you set up your own town for a week or, or a weekend, um, depending on how long the reenactment is. And I've actually, my boyfriend for the past four years, I actually met at a reenactment because he asked me to dance Virginia Reel. And we both have this love for history and this passion for this hobby. And now we do it together. But it's not like one of us dragged the other into it. We both mutually met because we liked it and then have continued to do it because we both really love it. But it's definitely its its own community because his whole family does it. It's just me and my mom. But now we go to reenactments. We camp together and we cook together. And it's it's almost like a little family reunion because, you know, his siblings have grown up, but they come back to do these reenactments because everyone, they're, they're a lot of fun. They're educational. We love to promote education. And it's just this little community that we have formed. And I, I love it because, you know, you sit up there on a Friday night and everyone's setting up their tent. And it's like you are literally forming your own community for a weekend of people who all love history. And, that, you know, that's one of the things I love about it is the friends you build, the community you build. And the experience of just going out for that weekend and doing things differently than you do in the current (laughs) modern days. It really feels like an escape from the modern world. I've come back feeling refreshed and restored because I haven't been bombarded by media for the past how many days. Because, you know, you're going out and communing with nature because I, you know, put away my cell phone and I attempt not to do modern things. And it kind of is like a electronic detox. (laughs) And you smell like a campfire. You definitely, everything (laughs) smells like a campfire. (laughs) Oh, that is all the time we've got. Uh, I think that was a fascinating topic. Thanks for joining us, Marie. Uh, We're going to have you around a lot more, obviously. And so moving on, we will uh, see everyone next time. Bye. Bye. Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. To learn more about the Northeast Georgia History Center, visit www.negahc.org.